Welcome to Cardio Radio, a podcast of the Ohio Cardiovascular and Diabetes Health Collaborative, also known as Cardio. This is Dr. Michael Constant from the Case Western Reserve University School of Medicine, and I serve as the principal investigator for Cardio, a statewide network of Ohio's seven medical schools. Cardio is funded by the Ohio Department of Medicaid and shares best practices to improve cardiovascular health, diabetes outcomes, and to eliminate health disparities in Ohio's Medicaid population. The opinions and recommendations in this podcast are those of the presenters and not those of Cardio and its sponsors, and are not intended to be a substitute for medical advice. I hope you enjoy today's podcast. Hello, I'm Dr. Susan Davis, Associate Professor of Family and Community Medicine at the University of Cincinnati College of Medicine. I'm a family physician and geriatrician and podcast lead for Cardio's Team Best Practices. In this podcast, we will discuss the importance of statins and barriers to their utilization. We will share strategies to help patients overcome these barriers. I am joined by Dr. Shalina Nair and Dr. Bream Meinzer. Dr. Nair is an Associate Professor of Family and Community Medicine at The Ohio State University and a family physician. Dr. Meinzer is a Managed Care Clinical Pharmacist at the University of Toledo Medical Center. Both are members of Cardio's Team Best Practices. Thank you both for being here. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Dr. Meinzer, so our listeners are all starting from the same place. Will you summarize the importance of statin use? Absolutely. Statins have been used for many years, and studies have shown that statin medications can significantly reduce a person's risk of having a heart attack or a stroke when used as indicated. The higher a patient's risk of having a heart attack or a stroke, the stronger the benefit of that statin. While the importance of statin use is well known, patients may miss the opportunity to be on a statin or receive the benefits of taking the medication for numerous reasons. For example, even if the statin is recommended by their prescriber, it's not uncommon for individuals to delay starting or stop taking the medication due to concerns about side effects. That's a really good point about patient engagement with statin use. We'll come back to that later. Dr. Nair, will you review who should be on a statin? The American College of Cardiology and the American Heart Association have released guidelines that can help clinicians ensure appropriate patients are on these medications. Both organizations recommend statin use for patients who have had a clinical atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease or ASCVD event, patients who have a low-density lipoprotein or LDL of greater than 190 milligrams per deciliter, or patients aged 40 to 75 years who have diabetes or an ASCVD risk greater than or equal to 7.5% with risk factors, or an ASCVD greater than 20%, regardless of baseline LDLC level. The intensity of statin therapy may vary based on the category the patient falls in and whether they have additional risk enhancers. The American Diabetes Association also puts out guidelines specific to individuals who have diabetes. They recommend anyone age 40 to 75 years old with diabetes or younger if additional risk factors are present. Take a statin for primary prevention and for those with additional ASCVD risk factors, a target LDL of less than 70 milligrams per deciliter is recommended. For secondary prevention, they also recommend a high-intensity statin and targeting an LDL of less than 55 milligrams per deciliter. 
Both guidelines will be posted with this podcast to reference if anyone has further questions. Thank you. Dr. Nair, what other guidelines might be referenced when deciding on who should be taking statin medications? So the United States Preventive Services Task Force also has guidelines that recommend statin therapy for primary prevention in patients age 40 to 75 years with an ASCVD risk score of greater than 10% and one cardiovascular risk factor. While they don't make recommendation on statin use for LDLC over 190, they instead defer to the other organizational guidelines for that group. One reason for the difference in guidelines is that the United States Preventive Services Task Force focuses on evidence from clinical trials versus including broader scientific evidence in their decision making. This could lead to potentially missing the opportunity for ASCVD risk reduction in certain groups, notably those with diabetes or younger adults. Dr. Meinzer, Dr. Nyer and I are primary care physicians in Ohio, and we often have patients that have concerns about potential side effects of statins, such as muscle aches, and that's their reason to not start a statin. How can we begin to address these concerns and work around these barriers to statin use? There are numerous barriers to utilization of statins, and clinicians should be having discussions with all indicated patients about initiating these. During these conversations, other barriers may come to light, like you have mentioned, If the patient brings up any misconceptions or rumors, it is important to ensure that they are looking at credible sources. When speaking with patients, I usually recommend the resources from Million Hearts, which is an initiative from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. These resources can help get the conversation started and address any concerns that the patient might have. Since these medications have been around for a long time, patients may have concerns about side effects or rumors that they have heard. So, Dr. Meinzer, I'm wondering if you can expand on this. What kind of concerns do you most commonly hear as a pharmacist from patients? What really are anticipated side effects, and is it myth-based, and how common are these side effects? Patients will come having heard reports from the media or having read something online about cognitive decline while taking statins. It is important, like I said, to have that open conversation as studies really haven't shown a correlation between statins and cognitive decline. The Food and Drug Administration also shows low rates of cognitive decline with individuals who are taking statins. Another common side effect that patients are concerned about are myalgias or muscle pains. With myalgias, it is important to assess whether it's a true myalgia or a true intolerance to statins. A lot of times, patients when I'm speaking with may confuse myalgias for arthritis or pulled or sore muscles. It sounds like there are several potential side effects. Dr. Meinzer, what do you typically look for when assessing a true statin intolerance? The American College of Cardiology has a great online resource available called the Statin Intolerance Tool. It walks clinicians through the type, severity, and any secondary causes of muscle symptoms, in addition to looking at the demographics of the patient, medications, and drug interactions that may be causing these symptoms. After inputting the appropriate information, the tool will outline some next steps, which may include suspending statin until the symptoms resolve, appropriate lab work to follow up to determine a differential diagnosis, or even continuing the statin. Symptoms that may indicate a true statin intolerance include severe muscle aches, weakness, or tenderness that is typically bilateral. Some populations are predisposed to statin adverse effects, and these include females, 
those with Asian ancestry, and those over the age of 75. It's also worth noting that the National Lipid Association has put out a statement regarding statin intolerance. They state, it is important for clinicians to recognize that for a large majority of patients who experience symptoms while on a statin, a tolerable statin regimen can be identified for the patient. Even though these side effects are bothersome to patients, these medications have a real value in preventing heart attacks and strokes, so it's important to discuss the risks and benefits before discontinuing a statin. So, therefore, the National Lipid Association makes it clear how important statin treatment is. So, once a patient has side effects while being on a statin, what are some strategies that primary care clinicians can use to ensure patients are on a tolerable statin regimen? Dr. Meinzer, can you address that? Absolutely. There are numerous ways a clinician can create a tolerable statin regimen after a patient has experienced symptoms. This may include lowering the dose of the statin, trialing a different dosing schedule, which may include alternating days, or trialing a different statin agent altogether. There is some data showing that low vitamin D levels may exacerbate statin-induced myopathies. If this is the case, vitamin D supplementation may improve the patient's symptoms. It's also important to consider the properties of the statin. A clinician may consider initiating a hydrophilic statin, which is a rosuvastatin or pravastatin, as opposed to a lipophilic statin. This is because lipophilic statins are able to diffuse into more types of tissues, such as muscle, and therefore may cause more side effects in these areas. Another strategy would be to assess how the previous agent was metabolized and choose an agent with an alternative metabolism pathway. For example, if a patient is on a statin that's primarily metabolized through the enzyme CYP3A4, which includes atorvastatin, lovastatin, or simvastatin, the clinician may choose to switch to rosuvastatin or fluvastatin as they are metabolized primarily through the enzyme CYP2C9. If a patient already has numerous medications that are metabolized through CYP enzyme, choosing either pravastatin or pitavastatin may be appropriate as these agents have minimal metabolism through the CYP pathway. When trialing alternative statin regimens for patients, it is important to utilize the lowest dose and titrate to the highest tolerable statin dose. Another option available to clinicians may be to utilize non-statin therapies alone or in combination with a statin. It's best to utilize in combination with a statin, but if patients have failed a statin retrial or refuse to retrial a statin, they may utilize non-statin therapies to maximize their cardiovascular benefit. These include azetamibe, PCSK9 inhibitors, and other non-pharmacological lifestyle interventions. There are numerous resources on these lifestyle interventions on cardio.org, such as diet guidelines and recommendations to improve cardiovascular health and exercising to promote heart health. So we've discussed the pharmacologic side effect barriers to statin use. Dr. Nyer, do you see other barriers as a primary care physician to your patients utilizing these medications? Yes, I do. There are definitely other factors that cause barriers to use. Some of this includes transportation to and from doctor's appointments or the pharmacy, as well as cost of the medication. As far as cost, preferred generic statins such as atorvastatin, lovastatin, pravastatin, rosuvastatin, and simvastatin are covered at no charge under Medicaid. 
Non-statin therapies may be subject to a prior authorization before coverage and may also have a copay associated with them. If transportation to the pharmacy is a barrier, it is best to consider using extended day supplies, such as 90 or 100 day supplies. Some pharmacies may have a delivery option or other mail order options that can help overcome this. However, there are also issues with these methods as well. Sometimes the packages the medications come in won't fit into the mailbox. In addition, they may be left outside for long periods of time, which may expose the medication to extreme temperatures if someone is not able to retrieve them right away. There's also the possibility of theft or being lost in the mail. So while mail might help alleviate transportation issues for some, it's important to have an in-depth conversation about the pros and cons as this option may not work for everyone. Another aspect to consider is the timing of administration and whether the statin needs to be taken with or without food. It is common to recommend taking these medications at night as this is when the body makes cholesterol. Ensuring the medication is in the system when the physiological process occurs is imperative to ensure that the statin is working. However, statins with longer half-lives do not need to be dosed at night because they'll still be in the patient's system during that nighttime process. These include atorvastatin, rosuvastatin, pravastatin, pitavastatin, and fluvastatin extended release. To ensure that there is medication in the system at the appropriate time, simvastatin and fluvastatin immediate release should be dosed only at night. This may matter to patients and affect their adherence to these medications if nighttime dosing is missed. For patients who have trouble remembering to take their medication at night, selecting a longer-acting agent would be most appropriate because if the patient has trouble taking it, they're not seeing the benefit from being on this medication. I see you're both prepared today to provide an example of patient-provider interaction in a role play. Dr. Nyer, I understand that you will play a provider, and Dr. Meinzer, you will play the patient. Here's the case background. MJ is a 65-year-old female has diabetes, and an ASCVD risk score of 10%. She's on metformin 1,000 milligrams twice daily, dulaglutide 3 milligrams weekly, and atorvastatin 40 milligrams daily. Okay, go ahead and get started. Hi, MJ. I see you're here today to discuss some concerns about your medications. Yeah, I've been having some left knee pain for a few weeks. Um, I was mentioning this to my aunt, and she mentioned our cousin had the same issue, and it was due to the cholesterol medication she was taking. I know I'm on cholesterol medication, so I was worried about taking this medication if it's causing knee pain. I'm not able to garden as much as I'd like. Okay, I'm sorry to hear that. Let's look into this further. Uh, Your medication list does include atorvastatin 40 milligrams, which is used for cholesterol, and can have side effects such as muscle aches, soreness, or tenderness. However, this medication is also extremely important for your heart health and has been shown to reduce the risk of heart attack and strokes. Based on a risk score that we use to help determine the benefits of this medication, you would see a lot of benefit by taking it. I'm going to go ahead and pull up a tool from the American College of Cardiology to help identify if some of these symptoms are likely being caused from this medication or if we need to investigate other causes as well. Can you describe how it feels? I feel stiffness and sharp pain when I kneel, and I'm sore, usually after I'm walking around a lot. Okay, and where do you notice this pain? In my left knee. How would you rate the pain on a scale of 0 to 10, with 0 being no pain at all, and 10 being the worst pain you can imagine? 
I'd say it's about a four. And when did you start noticing these symptoms? About a month ago. Okay. So in this tool, I also added when you started the medication, which was uh, three years ago, and added in your medical history of diabetes. Based on this tool, there are some characteristics that show a possibility these side effects are related to the medication. The first being the symptom type. However, the fact that it's only affecting the left knee and is not affecting the right makes it unlikely. The other factor is the fact that these medications typically affect muscle, so I would expect it to be located within a muscle group and not necessarily a joint like your knee. The timing of these symptoms after being on the medication for a while also makes it unlikely, but it could still be the ultimate cause if something else has changed. What I recommend doing is getting some additional tests to rule out other causes. I'll put in these orders for now. What questions do you have regarding what we discussed today? I don't believe I have any additional questions. Thanks, Doc. You're welcome. Once the tests are complete, I'll review these and I'll reach back out to discuss further. Thank you both for modeling that conversation. You mentioned additional testing, Dr. Nyer. What specific labs or tests would you be looking for? So the statin intolerance tool outlines additional lab work that may help identify risk factors for statin intolerance or for secondary causes. Some lab work includes uh, creatine kinase level, thyroid testing, uh, ALT, which tests for the liver, electrolyte panel, or a vitamin D level. If the creatinine kinase level is above five times the upper limit of normal, then evaluating a creatinine and a urinalysis for myoglobinuria will help to rule out rhabdomyolysis. Once rhabdomyolysis is ruled out, and if the patient is still experiencing symptoms, a temporary suspension of the statin can be trialed to see if the symptoms improve. If the statin interruption does not alleviate the symptoms, then investigating alternative causes would be the next course of action. The statin intolerance tool has lists of potential risk factors or secondary causes to help guide decision making. I'll just add as well that if symptoms resolve after statin interruption, it is appropriate to rechallenge with the original statin, especially if a secondary cause has been identified and treated. If symptoms resume after the rechallenge, interrupt the statin therapy again, and once symptoms resolve, we can trial that statin at a lower dose. If that lower dose is tolerated, we can slowly increase to a dose that is tolerated. Intolerance to one or more statins does not necessarily indicate intolerance to all statins. It is important to consider characteristics of each statin mentioned before, such as metabolism, lipophilicity, and drug interactions when prescribing. When working with patients who have side effects from statins, I often notice they don't want to keep rechallenging the statin. If this is the case, it would also be appropriate to look at an alternative statin initially um, instead of rechallenging the same one. This is usually when I look at metabolism and other characteristics that we mentioned earlier. If muscle symptoms have occurred on two or more statins and symptoms outweigh risk and benefit, it also may be time to discuss alternative treatment methods with the patient. Thank you both for sharing all of this information today. So I'm taking away that while barriers to statin use exist, there are a lot of ways to address these barriers with our patients, and they really need to be explored because significant benefits are seen with statins. Thank you both for being here. Thank you for having us, Dr. Davis. Yes, thank you. I really enjoyed our conversation. And a special thank you to you, our listeners, for tuning in to Cardio Radio. 
This concludes today's podcast. Be sure to visit cardio.org to learn more about the Ohio Cardiovascular and Diabetes Health Collaborative.